interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello humans, it's Rob here with you for DC Comics Not a Robot Thanksgiving Special Annual Number 1 Part 6 Chapter 7 Quatrain 34. Let's have some fun. As always with me today is my glorious co-host Brandon. Hello everybody. And Josh. Hello humans. Okay, obviously they're not here and that was my very, very shitty impressions of them both. They were better in and rehearsal but you know live never works out the way you intend it to now this week was american thanksgiving and me being the canadian resident i did my thanksgiving early last month so i'm here to give you all the news on all the books that came out this week with dc and those books are as follows we have detective comics 1045 with arkham rising in the backup the flash number 775 robin number eight task force Z. Sorry, Brandon. Z. Deathstroke Inc. number 3, Catwoman number 37, and Aquaman Green Arrow Deep Target number 2. Now, we did have this all split up, but since I'm the only one here, I'll be taking them all. And that is the intro. So, I guess, new segment, if we can do that. It's just me. Why not? There's not much going on in my world. It started snowing last night. We got a big pilot today. Shovel the snow already, and yeah, winter's here. It's here to stay, at least until next year. So we'll see how it goes. It's a good time. I don't think, at least I didn't see anything notable in the comics world or the movies and TV world with DC this week. So I don't know. Bit of a boring week. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving down south. Hope everybody's having a good time today. I guess let's just get right into the books. It's the fastest new segment we've ever done. Minute and a half from intro. Let's do this. All right, starting off is Detective Comics 1045, and that's going to be written by Rob. So this is from writer Mariko Tamaki, with art by Dan Mora, colors from Jordi Belair, letters from Aditya Bidikar, and a glorious cover, I might add. I think that was a beautiful cover. Batman and Mayor Nakano are in the sewers. Nakano is dead. Batman is furiously giving CPR while up above. Hugh Vile's parasite spawn are flooding the streets. Batman finally brings Nakano back as Oracle is able to get in touch with him for just a brief moment. He tells her what's happening, and she sends a call out to the Batfam. Orphan and Nightwing respond and are en route to the city center to help, while Batman and Nakano may go to make their way out of the sewers. They come across a wall of parasites, so Batman shocks them, and they fall instantly. Nakano now demands to know what's going on, and Batman spills everything. He was once infected and knows how they work. He goes on about Hugh Vile and all the attacks from before, and as they make their way to the top to find a giant parasite blob attacking everything it can. Batman tells Nakano to get the Magistrate on crowd control, but he runs after Batman wanting to see firsthand what this is. He finds Batman trapped in the monster's tentacles and drops his taser. Nakano picks it up with intent, but Nightwing calls to say he's got this. He's procured a Magistrate ship and uses it to shock the monster dead. With the day now saved, Batman and Oracle debrief at the clock tower, and Oracle gives Batman the all-clear on his infections. Whatever was used to treat him before gave him immunity. He asks her to give that information to Nakano's office as well, as this might be the start of a beautiful partnership, an effort that, in a small epilogue, it seems Nakano agrees with. But personally, I think this was oddly satisfying. It's not still what I'd expect from Detective Comics, but it sets some good stuff up overall. 
with at least in the big picture in the long run with Nakano and Batman potentially having a good partnership and with Jim Gordon out of the way you know Batman and Montoya Renee Montoya get along but she can only do so much right now <clears throat> to have the mayor on his side that's an entirely different thing altogether so we'll see how it goes. It's going to be very interesting considering where Detective Comics is going next month with him potentially... Oh no, that's in the main Batman run where he's leaving Gotham. But Shadows of the Bat is starting. Which means we can finally move on from Vile. And I'm excited about that. As interesting as a character as it was, it's not something that you needed like 10 issues on. The whole run so far has been about Vile in the background. There's been other stuff with Mr. Worth and the Penguin, but... Hugh Vile was at the center of it all, and it's just a bit much. I'm happy we're done with it. For me, though, I gave it an 8 out of 10. I ex I'd expect a bit more. I hope for a bit more. Shadows of the Bat looks very exciting. I can't wait to see where this goes. Now in Arkham Rising, if I can pull up those notes and not lose them, <laughs> our backup today was written out for us by Josh, was written by Stephanie Phillips, with art by David Lapham and Trish Mulvahill, and letters from Rob Lee. Batman is in Arkham Asylum to transport a prisoner, and he has to chase after one. He's exposed to gas that makes him hallucinate, but he fights through it. Some dude is saying he's going to release a bunch of chemicals in the city, and he gives chase, and they get to the end of the chase and find a surprise character, this one being Harley Quinn. Now, as Josh went on to say, this feels like a paint-by-numbers Batman story. It's not even funny. Seriously let me down, and the artists here I have seen do so much better, 6.5 out of 10. Now, I had the complete opposite, as you can probably guess. I love a good mystery, and this is a mystery. And as I said, now this is a mystery. And I can't wait for Shadows of the Bat. I think this is a good setup, this whole idea of Arkham Tower, which just honestly reminds me too much of the Arkham City video game, because it's essentially the same story. There's a tower setting up Arkham in Gotham. Villains run amok. Villains going wild, and at the center of it all, potentially, what's his name with the glasses? Oh my god, I always blank whenever I need to say the name. But you know who I'm talking about. He was in Harley Quinn recently. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. I'm, I'm curious to see where it's going to go. I'm, just, I'm excited for Shadows of the Bat, though. I think that's all it is for me. But I, I do see where Josh is coming from. It wasn't the most exciting intro, and it felt kind of rushed but i think there's one more chapter in this backup before we get to shadows of the bat proper so we'll see where that's going next we have the flash number 775 and i will take this one this is from writer jeremy adams with art by fernando pazarin inks from matt ryan colors from jeremy cox letters from rob lee wally and dr fate are in a two-dimensional causeway that looks suspiciously like a cave Fate warns there is still time to stop Eclipso before he can make his move. The only way out is to get help from you, the reader. The Fate gives Wally the ability to see us, and it freaks him the fuck out. And just then, they are attacked by a swarm of little monsters. Wally doesn't have his powers here, so he can't save them. Fate says the only way to save them now is to turn the book counterclockwise. As you do, they fall into the next page and through a series of panels to their destination, a chamber full of guards. They attack, and Fate asks you to blow on the pages to extinguish the flames. If you actually did that, all the power to you. Now in darkness, they make quick work of the guards. As you keep going, as they keep going, they come across a chasm with a door on the other side. 
Wally asks you to turn clockwise this time, and he falls through the door into a little grotto. Floating above the water is a book, a book Fate needs to get them out. Before they can grab it, something grabs Fate and drags him underwater. Wally screams to turn the book upside down, and all the water falls away to unveil a great squid-like beast. Wally frees Fate, and you turn the book right side up. Fate gets the book and finds there are three glyphs that need to be found. He asks you to go back and find them, then touch them in the order they appear. He would, but he's stuck with the beast still. And once you do find them, which I, I'll be honest, I didn't find the yellow one. I could only find red and blue. The pair get teleported to their destination, Gem World, where they find Amethyst and the Justice League Dark. Okay, so this is not the kind of book I was expecting. It really wasn't. When I read the solicitation for this, maybe it was just my expectations that lessened my experience. I was expecting a choose-your-own-adventure book, and I was very excited by that. I grew up on choose-your-own-adventure books. Any kid in the 80s and 90s grew up on choose-your-own-adventure books. I love those. This, I didn't love. It was a need for interaction, but you can't interact with half of it. It was still a cool idea, but I would have enjoyed more. And honestly, maybe I was reading it because I was reading digitally, didn't have the same effects. You could still turn sideways, but some of the pages were already course corrected for you when you flipped the next page. So it didn't have the same effect I imagined it would if you were reading it physically. Even beyond the page flips, uh, needing to blow on the pages and touch the glyphs on paper, it just felt too much like a kid's book. It wasn't the experience I was hoping for. It was not the experience I was expecting. Story's interesting, and I'm very excited that they're going to be working with the Justice League Dark and Amethyst. So, yeah, I give it a 7.5, probably a 7, depending on what my co-host would have said. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's a flash book. It's fun, it's interesting, but it's not necessarily always the fun you want to have. So next up, we have Robin, and that was done by Brandon. And if you give me a minute, I can pull that up. So just be a minute to get the creatives, because I forgot to write them down. Silly Rob not being prepared for his one-man show. What a guy. All right. Okay, here we go. Robin number eight. This was written by Joshua Williamson with art by Gleb Melnikov and Max Dunbar, colors by Hi-Fi, and letters from a literal world's Troy Pateri. I think it's a literal world. ALW's Troy Pateri. This was just a badass issue, guys. So we have the culmination of the tournament. It's the final round, Robin versus Hawk. And they definitely make that known, because in the background, they have an image of a Robin and a Hawk, the actual birds going at it as the humans do the exact same thing and this was a fight for the ages there was misses there was blocks they were equal ground it was just badass even the the crowd was feeling it with you they were clapping and cheering even respawn was the first to clap that's how exciting of a fight this was just amazing and unfortunately hawk gets the upper hand <clears throat> he gets the drop on robin takes him out and I believe it's with a, yep, crack of the neck that Robin goes down. Now, Robin's not completely dead. That was only his second death, apparently. But I remember two other deaths before this. So, you know, okay, whatever. But, you know, that happened. Hawk won the tournament. 
It's bound to be one of the two. I thought it was going to be Robin still, but Connor Hawk wins. Hallelujah. And now he's demanding that the end ceremony gets done and over with. To which we all know at the beginning of the issue, there's some demons involved. It's it's not going to go great for everybody there. And Damien's grandmother, I don't remember her name now, <laughs> uh, announces that, no, you're not getting off this island alive now. You're all going to die. Like, yeah, you died already, but now you're going to be dying permanently. No more Lazarus effect, I'm sorry. It, it's It's game over. But then Robin gets up, and he's fully healed, which was all part of his plan. See, he didn't lose all of his lives because it's a video game, folks. He had one extra life. Maybe he got the million points, got that bonus life, and he's back up. But he's fully healed now. He's not weakened from his fight with Respawn and with whoever else he fought throughout the tournament. He's fully healed, and he's fully energized, and he's ready to fight again. He's not ready to just fight Hawk. He's ready to fight whatever comes out of the pit. And as that thing rises out of the pit to take Hawk as the champion... He instead does not take Hawk as a champion, but takes Hawk as fodder and shoves his fist right through Hawk's back, and it's basically uh, a skewered bird. So that's fun. So Hawk still has one more life, so we think he's going to be back to life. And like I said before, it's just a badass issue. Now, I'll give my score first. It was 9.5 for me, and this only drops half a point because honestly, I wanted this to go on longer. Normally, I'm not a fan of prolonged stories, but I really feel this would have benefited from it. It's issue 8. Feels like it's been going on for a long time, but the issues have been going by so quickly because it's been so much fun, it feels like it's only been like 3 or 4. It's just an awesome book. I, I would have loved to see each issue be a different round and each fights different people. There was that one issue we went through like 6 rounds in a row. It went by so quickly, and I'm kind of bummed that I'm not going to get any more of this. But I'm very excited to see how this ends. I want to know where Connor Hawk is going to go after this. And I know my co-hosts agree, and I'm pretty sure everybody else out there agrees. Connor Hawk is badass, and I want to see where he goes next. We were talking about it in Slack when this issue dropped and we'd read it, and we're kind of hoping after this he goes on to a Green Arrow book. Because we don't have one right now. I get to one at the end of the book, at the end of this podcast. Sure, Deep Target. But that's a miniseries. And it's pretty much unrelated to any continuity it's like in elseworlds i imagine so it's not really doesn't really count so we need another green arrow book we have a flash with wally west we have a potential aquaman coming featuring jackson hyde like it's time to get some of the sidekicks back into the spotlight let's do it we have a green lantern book that doesn't feature hal jordan as a main character that's badass it features joe malane sojourner malane a brand new character who's had her own book and it's a badass book, but she's the newest Lantern and she's running the core right now. She's the lead character of that book. I think that's amazing. None of the past Lanterns besides John is really in it. It's fantastic. Well, Simon's there too, but he's a never ring. So yeah, 9.5 for me. If this series was going on longer with just the tournament, it would have been a perfect 10 for me. 9.5, hell, 9.75. I'm loving this book. I can tell you, my co-hosts agree. We we taught non-stop about this book. High scores all around. Next up, we have Task Force Z, 
and Josh has written this one out for us. So this is from, I keep saying Zed, sorry guys, Task Force Z. I'm the only one here, I'm a Canucker, it's gonna happen. <laughs> I'm used to saying Zed. It's Task Force Z number three, two, something. So this was written by Matthew Rosenberg with pencils, inks, and colors by Eddie Barrows, Eber Ferreira, and Adriano Lucas, and Rob Lee on lettering. Uh, it's chapter two of Task Force Z. The first mission was screwed from the get-go and half the team died. Jason has to be sweet-stocked into staying with the team. They bring back the fallen members and then set out on another mission, and this time it's to, it's to find another teammate. They run into the Cobra Cult on the way and have to make their way through them. A Bane falls into a huge crater, and we don't know if he makes it. The new team member is Zombie Deadshot. Jason doesn't seem happy about it when he calls up the boss, but the conversation is cut short by Jason getting a gut shot. Through the back, by all means, but still a gut shot. That, that was pretty bloody. This is a crazy book. It is just a crazy damn book. Sundowner is just fucked. We got to see her powers come out, but... Uh, Astrid Arkham just being semi-alive Bane and Mandat being semi-alive it's just this whole book is fucked it's crazy this one it, it looks like there's a chance these villains are going to survive after all for sure but uh, if this is an ongoing I'm not sure this is an ongoing or a limited series I feel like it's it's a limited series but if this is an ongoing holy crap I'm happy Deadshot's back and they, they brought that back and to have him in a task force whatever book just makes sense. I like Deadshot. I think Floyd Lawton is an interesting character, a very simple character, but an interesting character nonetheless. He's a guy, mercenary, that does things for family, basically. He he does things that are questionable, but he's a mercenary. They all do. But he's got a heart. He's got a heart of gold at the end. So that's why he's such an interesting interesting character to me. To have him back, and he's, even as a zombie, I think is fantastic. What's even more interesting is the fact that as far as we know, he has not taken any Lazarus pills yet. Yet he arose out of that coffin like it was it was breakfast time. I don't know what the hell's going on there. This is an 8 out of 10 from me. It's an 8 out of 10 from Josh. I don't have a score from Brandon on this one, but I feel like he might have enjoyed it. I think last issue he didn't enjoy it as much as the rest of us. But we'll see where it goes. When we talk to him again, we'll see how he feels. Hopefully he's not too full on turkey to talk about it. So next up, we have Deathstroke, Inc. number three. And that was written by Brandon. Un second, mes amis. Load faster. So this is a fun one. This, this was written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter. Colors from Hi-Fi and letters from Steve Wands with a beautiful cover from Howard Porter and Hi-Fi. That honestly is just like, oh my God, you guys, that, that's a crazy cover. Just Deathstroke riding a war unicorn in a land of fairies. It, it's just, there's so much going on. It's wild. And everywhere you look, it just gets crazier. But anyway, he and Black Canary have captured the Queen of Fables and are using her to get a chance to get into where Cheetah is hidden herself away within one of the Queen of Fables. Fables. Fables have written her. Fables. Queen of Fables has written her a story where she is the queen of a land, and Deathstroke demands to get put into that land. 
he tells Canary to get Queen of Fables back to Trust Headquarters, and she does that as Deathstroke enters the Land of Fairies. And when he does, he finds he's clad in armor with a giant sword, which he likes, but he doesn't have his guns, which he doesn't like. He finds a unicorn, because that's the only thing around, and obviously at the end of a rainbow, because where else would you find a unicorn apart from Scotland? And he rides that towards the castle where Cheetah is kept. He comes across a town surrounding the castle, full of little cat people, and they just start to bombard him with side quests, because apparently this is a video game. It's Elder Scrolls Cheetah Edition. And he says, I don't have any time for your side quests. I'm only here to get your queen. And they all cheer, because apparently she's a despot. Uh, she's, she's a fierce little kitty, and she's bringing this town to ruins. But then her army attacks, because they are there to defend her, and Deathstroke makes pretty awesome work of that. I, I'm a cat lover myself, but this was awesome to see. <laughs> Uh, back at Trust Headquarters, Black Canary is snooping around trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And Toy Man meets up with her to ask, okay, what do you got? And and they go on about Black Canary's mother being a part of this. And she alludes that she doesn't know a lot about her mother's past, but she knows a lot at the same time. And she knows that this painting is still fresh. It's not an old painting. And the Black Canary in the painting that's supposedly her mother looks about the same age as the current Dino Lands. So, there's something fishy going on there. Back in Cheetah Land, Deathstroke makes his way to the throne room just in time for a fight with Cheetah, who has clad herself in Wonder Woman-like armor. And as Deathstroke says, no, I'm going to bring you in and you're no Wonder Woman. Let's go, kitty. She strips away the armor, gets into her perfect Cheetah fighting prowess and gets ready to attack and she gets the upper hand on Slade for a good long while but Slade pulls out his upper hand his upper hand I guess I can't remember the term I'm trying to think of and he's got a page of the Queen of Fables book the story that they're currently in and he rips it to shreds which tears the world asunder the world falls away and they end up back in the real world where there's a helicopter waiting to take them away back to trust headquarters and as he tells her that they're going back to trust for her crimes with the Legion of Doom, she says, trust? Juliet Valentine send you? What did they promise you? And you, you really have no idea what they are? Oh, you don't? And she just seems to know a lot more about trust than Slade ever did. And Slade obviously knows nothing, neither does Dinah. And Toy Man knows a bit more than we do. But as Toy Man, back at trust headquarters, is snooping around like Dinah, he comes across Miss Valentine and tries to follow her, but she sneaks around, catches him, and says that, you know, we've given you everything you want. We've given you all the Batman toys you want to play with. Just keep doing this. And he's like, okay. But outside, in the rain, Black Canary is listening in. And she sneaks around the windows to see where Juliet Valentine is actually headed into her office. And she's speaking with someone shrouded in what may be a hologram. And opens a door to find Libra's costume. Libra of the, I think they were called the Zodiac. The guy that killed Martian Manhunter in the, I think it was the lead up to Final Crisis. If anybody doesn't remember Libra, I believe he was an, an old ass Justice League villain. This was a bit of a shocker. Who knows where the hell this is going? It's, it's just wild. And 
as Dinah races up to get to the top of the building to get in touch with Oracle. Oracle lets her know that, you know, the signal's working, but it's getting worse. I don't know how long this will hold. It doesn't matter which side Deathstroke is on. You need to get the hell out of there and take Deathstroke down once and for all. And as we pan out on the last page, we see Deathstroke standing over her with a sword ready to strike. Now, I'm not sure this is the same Deathstroke because the last time we saw Deathstroke, his costume was torn asunder. It was, it was tatters. He didn't even have a shirt on, let alone a mask. So I don't think this is the same Deathstroke. Honestly, though, this is a crazy damn story. I did not expect Libra in the slightest. Who knows where this is going? This this is just a wild book. Um, seeing more of Slade doing stuff like this would be great. Just saying, you know, I'd buy into a book where he just goes around the DC universe, going on crazy adventures, invading magical lands, and taking villains back to some headquarters that may or may not do something good with them. <sighs> All in all, this was an 8.75 for me. I can tell you Josh gave it an 8, and I can tell you Brandon probably enjoyed the hell out of this one too. It's just zany was the, the adjective I used. It, It's crazy. It, it's just, who knows where this is going. It, it does look like it's winding down. I think it's a six-issue run, and we're at number three. So the stories might wind down now. We won't be getting as much crazy stuff. You know, we had Deathstroke and Black Canary in space. We had Deathstroke in a magical fairyland. We had them doing all sorts of stuff. And I, I'd love to see more. But alas, books won't last forever. That being said, I do hope after this, Deathstroke does a bit more. I do remember... And I might be misremembering this very hard. There was, during the solicitations for Deathstroke Inc., before the book came out, I remember seeing a cover with Deathstroke and Black Canary and Ravager and Respawn from the Robin book and a bunch of other people all in the book. But so far we just have Toy Man, Black Canary, and Deathstroke, and that's it. Where's Ravager? Where's Respawn? Maybe I was just seeing something else. I don't know. But that's what I remember. I'm curious where they are. But that's inconsequential because I'm still loving the book we're getting. And that brings us to Catwoman number 37. This was written out for us by Josh. So this is written by Rom V with arts by Nina Vacueva with Laura Braga, Geraldo Borges, and Jordi Belair with letters by Tom Napolitano. Wrapped in a cover from Yannick Paquette and Nathan Fairbairn. Catwoman, Harley, and Gardner are fighting off the Flicker twins and having a hell of a time. Meanwhile, Cheshire Cat sends out a desperate SOS to anyone listening, and Ghostmaker hears it and heads that way. Meanwhile, Riddler, Ivy, and the rest are making their way through the truck, but it turns out Riddler and Penguin are double-crossing Catwoman for stealing from them before. Catwoman sees it coming a mile away and has already planned for it and wins the day. Oh, and Harley and Ivy kiss. The art was good, I've loved the story, but it was a bit too nice and tidy for me, it seemed like it was all with no consequence. It was a fun ride, but kind of ended with a, well, that was cool. That was from Josh. And here I am saying, no, don't end so soon. I think the end was a bit of a nice wrap-up. At least that last page was kind of nice to see. It looks like there's one more to go with Ron V. Probably be a bit of a sadder end, because it looks like a big goodbye. I give it a 9 out of 10. Josh has given it an 8.25. I believe Brandon has enjoyed this one as well. I don't have a score from him, but I can imagine it was fairly high as well. But the art was quite good. We got some nice wrap-up with the 
Riddler storyline. There's still a lot more to see, though. I, if I remember right, the whole Father Valley stuff didn't get finished. I think he's still out there. Yeah, because he's the one... It was just before Fear State. He shot and killed the detective, and that was the last time we saw him. So we still got Father Valley to finish up. So who knows how this is going to go. There's definitely one more to go. Plus, Cheshire and Leon were standing right there, but roofs off apart from each other, and that hasn't even been addressed yet. So, with Roy back, let's get this family reunion going. You've got one family reunion back with Harley and Ivy, and I'm, I'm so happy about that. I've seen that so many times in the past two weeks. I, I'm ecstatic. Let's get the Harper family back together. It's about time we see them. I know Roy and Cheshire don't necessarily get along, but it'd be nice to see them together again, saying, oh my god, Leanne is back. She's alive. Let's try this again. Right? Not necessarily as a family, but... To see Leanne with her mom and dad again would be awesome. So 9 out of 10 for me, 8.25 from Josh. Where are we on time? Ooh, they're about a half an hour. Well, that's <laughs> what you get when you got one guy. <laughs> I can only converse with myself so much before it starts to sound crazy. So this one will be our last one for the week. And this was Aquaman Green Arrow Deep Target, written by Brandon Thomas, arts by Ronan Cliquette. Colors by Ulysses Ariola and letters from Josh Reed. Arthur and Ollie are are uh, Arthur and Ollie are en route to Star Labs. That sounds like a tongue twister. To get things figured out, they both have memories of each other's lives as well as their own, as well as their own. And all of a sudden, they are attacked by two jets. Ollie goes topside to deal with them as a squad of fighters teleport in onto the plane. Ollie does well to hold off the jets' blast while Arthur sends a volley of arrows at the attacker. Ollie uses the trident to send water flying into the jets and takes them out. Arthur is having trouble inside, though. The attackers have overrun him, but are trying to take the pair alive using tranks. Having failed, the attackers seemingly blow themselves up. No clue why they would do that. Just take another shot. Arthur grabs the pilot, Murray, and jumps out of the plane just as it blows. His parachute gets hit by burning debris, and they are now falling fast. Ollie gets to them just in time to send water up to soften their fall. Ollie grabs them and swims fast to the nearest landmass. They get a moment to catch their breath when a jet arrives and the general jumps out. When he lands, he makes such a shockwave that Arthur and Murray are sent flying. Murray lands on his neck and dies. Ollie and Arthur are now left to fight this monster while he alludes to being responsible for their new lives. So on our Slack channels, we had a discussion about the issues with this title so far. And by, when I say issues, I mean problems. Personally, after thinking about it and doing my review for this, I think there's some grains of salt we can give it. Some of the issues talked about included uh, just the inconsistencies of this island. Is it the purgatory, Lian Yu, whatever you want to call it. I'm just pulling that from the Arrow TV show. Uh, basically, the island Ollie became Green Arrow on. Um, among so many other inconsistencies that seem to pop up, like they were going from Seattle, basically, to Star Labs but they're crossing the ocean, and where's Star Labs? you think it would be in the U.S., but I think, personally, there's some grains of salt we can give it. There are some clear inconsistencies. One that really screams out at me is why the attackers on the plane would take one shot with the tranquilizer dart, miss, and then, okay, now screw it, we, we lost, and just blow themselves up. That makes no sense to me, but honestly, I don't think it's as bad as we may think. 
there was talk of that island being purgatory which is supposed to be somewhere in the south china sea or near fiji somewhere around there but i don't think it's that island there's just that one throwaway line from the general that made it sound like it was that island but i think it was more just like a day like he's just taunting all over does this bring back memories of your time on that island look we're on a desert island it must give you scars or whatever i i think that's that could be taken with a grain of salt i think it's fine but again that's just me i try to give things benefit of doubt as best i can uh but beyond that i'm loving the art i love that there's more arthur and ollie to read because i love both of these characters aquaman and green arrow are just very fun characters they've written well and i think they're being written well here all in all i'll give it a 7.5 out of 10 yeah, it's a 7.25 from Josh, and I know Brandon really enjoyed this. I, I would imagine he's given it somewhere well over an 8.5, maybe close to a 9. I think Brandon Thomas is doing a really good job. I'm loving the art. I'm loving that these characters are back. I just hope at the end of this, it makes sense. Taking a sip of water. So that's our books for the week. Next week we'll be back with more. Um, but before we get to that, I'm going to break down my top three of the week. For me, number three was Deathstroke Inc. It was just a fun, wacky, zany little issue. And I really hope for more from this book. Number two was Catwoman. I thought it was very heartfelt. I, I thought it was very nice to see it all wrapping up nicely. I... I started reading Catwoman Rebirth when it, it first started, but I had to cull it out of my pull list. And I'm sorry I did that because I wish I was reading this entire run. I might go back and reread all the issues now. I know Ron V wasn't writing it the entire time, but it just seems like a fun little title. And I, I got really into this book. And number one, if you can guess it, and I think it's the same for all three of us. I know it is for Josh for sure, is Robin. This book was awesome. I never want it to end. But like I said before, as with all things, books will come to an end. Stories will come anew and more will happen. And best moment for me was Robin fighting Hawk, which is like half the issue, but it's it takes place in like 10 seconds. It's just fantastic. The choreography they the had. Biggest okay, so that was our oh, favorite that's moments. Nasty. That's time for your favorite moment. It's So this week, honestly, I had a bit of struggle trying to pick up my biggest stinker. In terms of scoring, it was a little odd for me. Uh, let's see, what did I have? I had two books with the same score of 7.5. I gave Flash a big benefit of the doubt, probably because I love Wally West so much. But quite honestly, it's my biggest stinker this week. And that might resonate with all three of us. I can tell you Josh felt the same way about that. And I don't know. We'll see how it goes from here. I, I'm still digging the book. Some of my favorite issues of The Flash have come out with this creative team with Wally West taking over the book. We'll see how it goes. I'm very curious to see how this is going to go and what will happen. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting time for sure. And that is our show. Remember, you can help support the show by signing up for our Patreon. 
www.patreon.com forward slash not a robot podcast for just a dollar a month and get your name shouted out on the podcast of your choice access to all of our material and more and as always there's only one way we say goodbye around here be good to each other and don't be a robot Just like a bad